Hey everyone, <laughs> season six, Jeez Louise. Um, I've been doing this for three years and this podcast started as a desperate attempt to connect with people uh, during the pandemic and lockdown and I'm still rolling and I'm, I'm still rolling and I'm still reading, I'm reading great books, I'm meeting great authors and it's been a blast. And today, when I was walking the dogs, I decided when I hit episode 200, I am making myself a fancy cake. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. I love that. Before we uh, got on air here, I have been making from scratch chocolate croissants. So I have been rolling. Ooh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I've been yeah. rolling and rolling and rolling. <laughs> right. So, uh, anyways, so for. First time listeners, my name is Joanna. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And a little update about Spy Girls. It's not going to come out September. It's going to come out the end of January, January 2024. I'm listening to the advice of my publicist. And it just for everyone involved in myself, January is much better than in September. So today is the third in a series of podcasts I'm doing in my capacity as the official podcast host for the 2022 Canadian Book Club Award winners. I'm excited to feature three fiction authors. Sophie Sullivan, author of The Rules for Faking It, and she's coming to us from California. Tony Olivier, the author of The Amsterdam Deception, and soon to be, to be released, The Tokyo Diversion, which I saw was up on Amazon. And Kate Gately, the author of Tides of the Sovereign. Welcome, you guys. How are you doing? Thank you. Good. Thank you for having us. Very good. Good, good. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to start off with a basic question, just to, so our listeners know what your novels are about. Okay, so we're going to start with Kate. Can you tell us what your novel is about? The Tides of Soldier. Yeah, and I such. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, it's, it's, I always find it a hard question. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I know. Really hard. <laughs> I know. I'm an author. You write seventy to hundred thousand words, and you're like, oh god, I got to reduce this down to two sentences, <laughs> right? right? Without motivation and without including yeah. all that. But or how about what will the reader experience when they pick up your book? Sure. Yeah. No. So my I won the category for fantasy and sci-fi. Um, I would definitely fall into contemporary fantasy, um, but also lots of feminist, spiritual, psychological, across a lot of genre, um, the which has always been an interesting, which adds to my complexity describing my books. Um, they follow a magic user uh, bearer named Julia Harrison, um, and she's on an intuitive quest to unearth her abilities, um, rekindle a romance, there's lots of romance, and also to realize her destiny. So it's a real... You know, epic saga about finding yourself and connecting um, also with the threat of an evil sorcerer. And um, it sounds really magic heavy, but it's contemporary fantasy. So it's contemporary, meaning that like the world building is set now. And so we're dealing with um, not quite magical realism, but we're like, you know, we're dealing with sort of real modern concepts, but applying another sort of secret world. So 
fun. Cool. Cool. I, I understand that. I understand mm-hmm. it because I'm looking at a time travel, but I want it to take place. I want now, like I want now and the seventies. So that's what. Oh, I'm you'll playing. like mine because mine's rebirth. So they they're reborn through the last thousand years. So we have flashbacks to history. So there's historical romance element, but it's current to now. Excellent, excellent. Now, Tony, the Amsterdam deception. Yes. Can you tell us about <laughs> it? And what I know what the reader will experience. Like, hang on, you're going for a ride. Like, and what what the what the reader experience will be like? So it's a thriller. I won uh, the book won uh, best thriller 2022. Is that that's the right yeah, <laughs> the right year yeah. uh, <laughs> with the Canadian Book Club Awards. Uh, it's um, it's a, th- a spy thriller with an unusual main character that as far as i can tell it's not it's not been in an, another novel it's a uh a young uh 21 2021 20, uh male ballet dancer <clears throat> that gets caught up in a a born identity style situation and um what happens he's uh he's on a trip uh his first international trip he's from canada he's from the national ballet school or the national ballet in canada he's canadian he travels over to Amsterdam with the with the, the tour uh, or with the with the company, and uh, for a variety of reasons, which the book will will uh, show, uh, he's plucked out of the red light district as he's he's trying to actually protect <laughs> keep a friend from doing anything really bad as walking through the the red light district, and he's uh, he's basically abducted and he's injected with the memories of a dead Cold War spy. Oh wow. And and the memories contain uh, the location of a of a of a device. Um, it's kind of a virtual reality device. And what happens is after the after the uh, uh, you know the uh, procedure, um, the memories actually almost take over uh, his body and and break him out of this clinic, and he walks really kind of dazed and confused out into the Amsterdam night is kind of winter time in Amsterdam. And the reason why these, this device was there, uh, they're looking for the location of the device. There's a, a tech billionaire from Silicon Valley that uh, needs this device to um, sort of restart his company. Could be kind of the next Nintendo or that's, that's kind of what he's looking for. But there's a, uh, a very successful TV evangelist has got a 24 by seven religious uh, news uh, channel that rakes in millions of dollars a year from, you know, people that, that subscribe to that. He wants them dead. And the, the book kind of goes through that. So it's a, it's a, a tour through Amsterdam. They go to Paris and they end up in Silicon Valley where um, everything finally happens. Cool. Cool. Wow. All right. All right, Jody. What uh, what's your book about? Um, the I'm, bring, I'm bringing up the rear with the light and fluffy um, romance. That's good. <laughs> Rom-com. Um, Ten rules, one for um, best romance, and it is about Everly Dean, who has severe social anxiety. She's a radio show producer. She hates birthdays. She's got a history with them that hasn't gone well, and so she and she's also very. Um, just really, really introverted. And her best friend is the DJ on a radio show host or a radio show. 
And she goes in one morning after finding her boyfriend on her birthday in bed with someone else and basically swears off men and birthdays and everything. And her best friend had been intending, was intending to sing happy birthday to her live on the air. So everything Everly rants about birthdays, men and life gets broadcast to California uh, on the radio station. So um, it's very embarrassing. And meanwhile, uh, the radio show manager, uh, the radio um, network's manager, Chris Jensen, is trying to turn the station around in an effort to prove to his dad that he can manage one of his dad's companies on his own. And so they basically come up with a way to save this terrible, like, kind of PR nightmare by having Everly date listener-recommended bachelors, which is which is really hard on her social anxiety and made harder by the fact that Chris is in love with her and supposed to be leaving and supposed to be setting her up with someone from the radio. So, yeah. So, the, you know, we kind of go through it. It's got a lot of themes. Typically, my books have themes of friendship and, you know, that that strong connection and of found family versus your regular family. Um, some family conflict, things like that. So the the friendship between Stacy and Everly is powerful, but so is the romantic connection between Chris and Everly. So good, good, and um, it's it, it, all of your stories are very believable. Thank you. I, I remember Jody when uh, my husband and I, I. I got. I have to share this story. We were in California. And as we were driving to our next uh, vacation area, we were going to, we were actually, we were celebrating our anniversary. And on the radio, this talk show, a lady, I felt so, it was awful. This lady called in because she thought her husband was cheating on her. Oh. She's saying this on the air. This was the type of. Oh my goodness. Just wait. And then the talk show anchor called the husband. And oh my so, goodness! Yeah, and we're, we're, we're driving to like um, the Dunes Golf Course or whatever it is, and we're hearing this because it was the only thing we could actually get in. And uh, this was back about like eight years ago. And then, because and the one thing the wife had said is there was a receipt, a visa receipt under the chair for flowers on this date, and she never got the flowers. So. They've got the wife, they've got the husband, and the DJ asks the husband, did you buy, like, who did you buy the flowers for? Yeah. And then it was like, it was radio silence. And and I'm just like, holy crap, right? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I'm, I thought I can't. That sounds like a rom-com plot. Seriously. Wow. Yeah. You guys, I'm, I'm listening to what you're writing. And it's it's interesting how it connects with your bios. Like Kate, you have a BA in linguistics and yeah. a bachelor <laughs> in science and psychology from the University of Saskatchewan. You've always been fascinated by history, Celtic ideology, ancestral memory, and generational wounding, and the divine feminine. And the, you know all of those topics have influenced your life. And uh, you're an island, 
I don't want to say island girl, but we're both actually very close to each other. I live here in Cowchon Valley and I live in Shimanus. Okay. Oh, I used to live in Shimanus. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I like it here. You say with your amazing husband, two incredible dogs and two incredible sons and adorable dog, several barn cats and ungrateful chickens. Okay. Yeah. I've got, I've got geese now too. So we're. Oh, <laughs> And then Tony, you know, you say you are a child of the 60s. You voraciously read science fiction and adventure books. You live in Vancouver with your wife and two children. And as you, like we said, the author of the David Knight series. Um, you know, and your, your protagonist, David Knight, like you said, memory enhanced protagonist, who is a ballet dancer. Uh, so, our listeners know Tony lives in Vancouver with his wife and two teenagers and works in competitive intelligence in a software company based out of Portugal. Uh, his high-tech career included stints at Xerox, Apple, IBM, and Microsoft. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, the connections to your stories. You know, it, gosh, this is an all-Canadian uh, podcast today. Yeah. So. Sophie, another Canadian author, as well as it says, a cookie-eating, Diet Pepsi-drinking Disney enthusiast who loves reading and writing romance, okay? You are a teacher, and you spend your spare time with your sweet family watching reruns of Friends. Um, Now, you also have an alter ego, Jody Holford. Yes. And that's, you write the Brighton Bay Cozy Mysteries and the Wannabe Sleuth Mysteries. So it's interesting. Yeah. I also write um, romance under Jody Holford. Jody Holford is actually my real name. Okay. Um, Sophie Sullivan is the the pen name there, but yeah. Okay. So I write under both. So I'm going to start with Tony this time. And that is with writing, what do you believe is your superpower? Um, I was in a mentorship program through the writing studio with Eileen Cook, an amazing author, an amazing human. And she had told me that my action scenes and dialogue were my superpower. But I remember at times she was saying, Joanna, slow down the pace. So, Tony, what's your superpower? Well, it, it's funny you mentioned Eileen because I had lunch with her about a month ago, and she was she was the developmental editor um, on this book. Yeah. So she, because um, I was at the point I, I'd submitted it a bunch of different times, and, um, and and as I said, it's an unusual protagonist, and she she really helped um, uh, uh, bring him to life. But I think my I think my superpower is uh, is the visuals, the setting, the the locations. I've um, because of the jobs that I've had, I, I travel, um, or I have, I traveled extensively before the pandemic, uh, and I've just started kind of traveling again. I actually, uh, I just came back from three weeks in Portugal. My my wife and I did vacation in Portugal um, in in July, and so I, you know, so there may be Lisbon may show up in in a future book. Uh, but I, I think as I'm, uh, I have a, a real strong, uh, strong visual, um, visual language, I guess, as I'm, as I'm writing, because I've, the places that I've, I write about, I've been there. 
Yeah. You know, in, in, almost in every case. Um, and that, that really helps me, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm doing the setting. Good. Good. All right, Sophie, what do you um, think? I think, um, it would be emotional connection with characters. I think that I have an ability to create those authentic relationships, whether it's friendship or, um, romantic relationships and just really hopefully making the reader feel that kind of emotion come off the page and, you know, that whether that creates empathy for toward the character or, you know, anger towards other characters or I was actually on Instagram this morning and my next book, Love Naturally, is coming is on NetGalley right now. And someone posted um about reading it and said that Emmett, who is the bad ex boyfriend, is the most punchable punchable in the face character she's ever met <laughs> I was like, okay well that's pretty good since he's only on the screen for like two minutes but okay i'll take it so that's good yeah, yeah. that's good that's good yeah kate what do you think what do you think oh, your superpower I, think, I would say dialogue um when i write dialogue it's i struggle to keep up almost because it's very much the characters appear before me and i'm almost like annotating or, or transcribing their conversations which is funny because i in my linguistics background, I did do some brief transcription work. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's intuitive. Um, I do feel like my characters also are quite um, believable and in-depth. I don't, I don't want to follow them if they're not strong enough. So they usually don't make it onto the page. So that's kind of, yeah, I say characters and dialogue and that's, and that's where I find I need the least amount of editing, the least amount of development is usually the, the dialogue is usually fairly solid and working things around it is more where I have to focus my craft, I guess. Cool. That's really cool. All of you have touched on three different uh, aspects of writing. Now, I I've been read like I said I've been reading I've been reading each one of these and uh, I was I always wonder what the inspiration is. Um, you know, uh, Kate, I think of that opening scene with the quilt uh, mm. with your heroine, uh, Tony. Amsterdam, the the it, yeah, the setting. I so want to go to Holland with a name like Vanderfluck. You better, yeah, <laughs> damn sure I'm going to Holland one day, right? Um, and the concept and your David being a ballet dancer, Sophie. The whole. I wished I was on WKRP in the real world, <laughs> right? you know. So that whole radio broadcasting scene so what were the inspiration what was the inspiration for each of these stories and i'm going to start again with kate what was the inspiration oh well for i mean the quilt i mean spoiler alert we unpack it as we go through three books so i'm not going to tell you exactly what the function of the quilt is in the long run um but what we do know is that it holds memories of her past lives and so she's placed she's woven for the very obvious metaphor she's woven and, and sewn and, and and patched together previous versions of herself and one of the big things about julia is that like as she's been had this rebirth curse she's lost her memory eventually over time over the last thousand years and, and the real the real sort of romantic um and uh, sophie will appreciate this the sort of romantic clincher part of it is that he keeps his memories so he has to keep finding her every time they're reborn and, and he has them and she loses them and so there's some real like ro lovely romance trope stuff happening between them um that builds into it but the quilt um I think that something that I'm exploring in myself and, and my love for psychology and different things is sort of like the things were handed down generationally, but also path selves, present selves, holding previous versions with grace and, and with honor. And 
but also understanding that they are where they are and then we can leave them. Um, so there's kind of a, just to give you a side spinoff. So I do quilt. I'm hmm. very amateur, but I do quilt um, just as a, as a fun hobby, even though I'm, that's kind of a funny one. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm collaborating with another artist and we're doing actually a quilt fabric collection for each book. So I am launching. Yeah. So kind of riffing off the marketing things. So that's the quilt is um, in the book. It's one of the, like, I wouldn't say it's the inspiration. It's just a great symbol. Um, but then it's become kind of a fun. Good. Fun ditty. Yeah. Good. And Sophie, you're, what was the inspiration? Tell me, um, you didn't drop a whole bunch of bagels and found your boyfriend. or <laughs> I, I did not. I did not. My husband is lovely, but actually he was the inspiration in a sense. Um, we, I, I live in a small town in, um, that, well, in Chilliwack and, um, our rate, our local radio station had just this thing that they did. It was called open chair. And my husband, it was, there's a post on Facebook that said, you know, anybody local who wants to go on open chair, go ahead. And Matt came home. That's my husband one day. He's like, Oh, I'm going on this on Friday night. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> well, I don't know. I thought it would be fun. Like, okay. So he has this Friday night spot with our local DJ, uh, Rob Michaels. And we, m- myself, my two daughters and my mother-in-law were sitting downstairs listening to it on the computer. And I just kept thinking while we were listening to him, him and he did such a great job. I mean, Rob is obviously a trained DJ and has this wonderful DJ voice and stuff, but they just meshed so well. And Matt was so easygoing about it. And Rob put him on the spot at one point and he was like, oh, okay, Matt, I'm going to get you to read the weather. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I get really nervous about other people presenting things like on their behalf, even if they're not nervous. And so I was kind of like panicking a little bit like, okay, what if he screws this up? This is like my worst nightmare. I wouldn't want this. Like I would say something so stupid and never be able to take it back. And that is where the inspiration, I was like, oh my gosh, what if a, a, a girl did that and she was like just announced the worst things online and then you know it just went from there so yeah perfect perfect yeah yeah tony tony what was the inspiration uh i met my wife uh actually just celebrated our 27th anniversary uh in toronto nice. and uh she uh was going to the national ballet school the teachers program oh. to become a ballet teacher and we were much younger at the time, yeah. uh, but be, because I was support, I was a supportive boyfriend and then fiance. Uh, we got married out here. Um, I attended a lot of ballet, yeah. right? A lot of productions, and and um, she had a lot of friends in the na- in the national ballet, and I so I got a chance to do that. And um, we were actually it was really funny. We were we were actually traveling. We were this is prior to kids. Um, when you could travel, just pick up and go. Our kids are, are, are well, that bio is a little bit out of date because my kids are now 20 and 24. So it's okay. a, they're kind of out. Um, but we were in, we were in actually Bordeaux in France. We were in, we were, went to see a ballet. It was hot as hell. Yeah. It was in the summer. And it was an, the piece that I remember was an all male ballet. Yeah. All, just man, like it was all men. Yeah. And it just struck me, these guys are, Friggin' athletic, hugely athletic, right? They're all they're all basically, you know, almost gymnast bodies, you know, because they have to lift and everything. And I I thought that would be that'd be a great character. And and I also knew way more about ballet than probably I should, being a you know a tech <laughs> a tech guy. Yeah. Um, 
And I'd been to Amsterdam. I traveled to Amsterdam. We had actually, I think on that trip, we'd actually went to Amsterdam as well. And so it was just a, it was a kind of a combination of things, but that was the, that was the inspiration was seeing, you know, realizing, and I'd seen male ballet dancers before, but realizing these guys are hugely athletic. So, so that's the, that's what happened. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I hope, not hope, it's going to happen. It's The Hague. That's where I want to go to in in Holland yep. is The Hague, right? Okay. Now, you guys, you've caught me where I'm just finishing, like, final edits, just like the copy edits of Spy Girls. And like all of you, I'm thinking ahead. And I'm actually going to take a step away from my series and work on this time travel. Now, I have a new character. Okay. And all you you know, you spend so much time with this character, right? And the new character, she's going to be a nurse. My daughter's an emergency room nurse at VGH. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get into this character's head? Totally new person. So I've purchased two nursing memoirs, two memoirs written by nurses. And I thought, let's just sink into their world. So how do you learn about your your characters? Um, you know, uh, do you do like a four-page interview or like, let's start with you, Tony. How did you, how do you learn about your characters? Is it something you do that interview in the beginning or as you're writing, you're learning about David? So, so there's, there's a couple of characters it's funny, I've done varying levels of research. Uh, when I was researching the book, or when I was actually writing it, um, there was a, uh, a ballet dancer, male ballet dancer had, I think he'd come to stay with us, um, or he was in, in Vancouver. And the National had come to Vancouver, and they were, they were he was involved in the rehearsal. And I said, I, I would love to come and see the rehearsal of a professional ballet. He says, okay, let me see what I can do. And then he calls back. He says, well, how would you like to be on stage? I go, what do you mean? He says, well, we actually need, and they're called, um, they're called specials. So uh, for Romeo and Juliet, uh, I was dressed up. I was on stage as a guard and I helped carry, um, um, oh, I'm just thinking of her name, the grand dame of ballet in Canada. It's not Karen Kane, is it? Karen Kane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she 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 had died. Uh, she was the mother. She had died on this couch. And I helped with four or five other carry her off stage. Right. So I go, that's that's pretty good research. So that was a that what really helped, you know, get me set. Cause I I'd never danced, right? My my wife did and I had never been, but I'd been on stage and 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 all that. So that was good. And then some of the other characters, um, there's another character, uh, Asher Fitzsimmons. And I patterned him off a man that I met like 40 years ago that just the same, he had the same kind of mannerisms. And I just, he just sort of came to me. And, and so I, in some cases, they, they, some, they, sometimes they, as you know, they pop up. Yeah. And some cases you have to do more research, but I, I tend to go with the ones that pop up better. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just thinking even the perspective of being on that stage and and what you see on that stage compared to being an audience member, like, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. It's Kate. Kate, Kate, Kate. Mm. 
your characters? How how do you come up with them? How how do you how do they evolve? So I definitely don't do character studies or interviews. <laughs> I'm not a list maker. I'm a I'm a total pantser. Um, I'm really frustrated when I have to be really organized. Um, <laughs> I'm organized in my head, um, or so I think. Um, <laughs> so my characters, it's interesting. So this is a sort of a story I've carried with myself for a long time. Um, so for my my two main protagonists, um, Julia, um, she's I wanted to write someone my age, like I'm 34, so I want to write someone in their 30s. Um, you don't see a lot of that in romantic fantasy realm right now. Really heavily into new adult um, people in their early 20s. Um, so I wanted to write adult kind of perspective. And then so Julia is someone who she has a lot in common with me. She does linguistics. I did linguistics. But that was very much like using what I know kind of to create the space and also to give linguistics some attention in the in books. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great subject and people don't don't talk about it that much um and so julia has always felt like an ancestor actually so when i write her it feels like i i'm very much in conduit and i'm bringing her through um so sometimes her reactions are similar to how i respond to things and sometimes they're not um and because i write her in first person people are like oh is julia you and no she's not um she's not but she is akin to me and i feel a familial feeling to her so when i advocate for her kind of in a dialogue or a conflict i do feel like i'm really clear on her intention um donald the male character is based off of a historical so brian baru's brian baru's like the last high king of ireland <clears throat> died in 1014 and he had all these sons with various wives and and there was i was listening to a podcast years ago about brian baru and i'm irish on one side and and it was about i thought oh how cool would it be to write about one of these sons that was sort of lost in history and so he's always been this sort of celtic prince that i've carried with me but then it's been interesting bringing donald to the page because he feels very much like my um sort of my masculine so one of the big things sort of in the, the mythology that i that i personally study in looking at divine feminine and masculine it's sort of that balance between the two and it's not gendered it's genitive and, and we're looking at that so donald really like often i'm on his side in a conflict even though it's maybe not rational because i really identify with his character a lot um and my husband helps me with edits and he always laughs because he's like usually on julia's side and i'm usually kind of like i don't know like i kind of agree with dom here and so it, it's fun and then and then the other characters are very much walk onto the page and i meet them and and it's sort of a feeling and if i don't have a feeling about them i can't do them justice um because i i can't intuit their reactions i guess um so i suppose they are all just coming from my mind but um i want to give life and breath to the characters that are coming through me um because it's i get i get bogged down and stuck if a character isn't giving me um delivering the scene or delivering the tension or the whatever the romance or whatever we're looking for yeah good good jody jody um typically i don't i typically when i'm researching something it, it ends up being the jobs um everly's character is kind of um unique in in comparison to my other books because there's social anxiety i do have social anxiety so with that character i didn't have to do a lot of research um to make it feel authentic but when i do dive in it's i i wanted to know more about the whole radio show producing and so i actually because matt had established that connection with our local radio host um i was able to go in which was really cool and i got to see the i got to see the you know the booth and where they did things and um one of the things for me that I, I always want things to be authentic so i i really was worrying about the piece where 
could Everly walk in having her rant and actually not be aware that the on-air sign was on? And so it was really cool to go in and Rob showed us around. And I was like, okay, you could actually, if you were like fixated on something and super upset, you could walk right past that on-air sign and start, you know, she walked in there. So that was really cool for me. So I liked, I liked being able to go in there and get a feel for it. And he actually, he answered some great questions for me on, you know, production meetings and what happens afterwards. So there's some pieces in there where they're having these post meetings or, you know, just when, when we think of something, you think radio show host and you, you see it in, in one specific way. So it was really cool to talk to Rob about the, the different aspects and what goes into creating a show. It's not just someone, you know, jumping on the mic and kind of ad-libbing. It is, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's structured and it's hours of research and um, things like that. So, yeah, so I did, I mean, I did delve into that. And in the past with other, um, with other books, I tend to just the research pieces, just making sure I have those job things accurate. And a lot of times I'm, we know so many people that it's really easy to ask a friend, right? Like, okay, so your husband has this job. Does this sound like it would be okay? And I wrote some baseball books um, under Jody Holford, and we have a friend who played baseball and absolutely loves it. So I would ask him, you know, what would what do you what would he say in this moment and stuff like that? So just kind of that sort of thing, just things that are very close to home, no deep research or textbooks yeah. or anything like that, just authentic kind of personal connections. Cool. Well, I'm. Oh God, I, I'm curious about you with you guys. Just totally, I'm going a bit off on a tangent here. I did a, I've worked, I'm retired, but just, I wanted to do, I, at the time of my life, I wanted to do something, oh, like it's been over a year, S try something different. And for some reason, I was very drawn to working in the local bakery, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, my, I'm, I've been there for three months. My last day working is this Saturday. I've decided, okay, I, I've got far too much going on at the moment. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, um, but it's been interesting working in a bakery, and so that now I'm writing a short story of a character working in a bakery, mm -hmm. and uh, like you, Jody, it's it's been really, really cool. You know, like like. So I guess my question first off, don't let me forget, is how do you guys feel about writing short stories? Because they actually, short stories give me hives. And it's probably because <laughs> I am not a plotter, okay? And, um, but it's just, it's that little things, you know, like Jody, you had said, where I remember the baker one day came up to me and the artesian breads were out, but they were too hot. And he he had a plastic beside it. And he said, these need to go in the freezer. And he goes, but Joanna, and I'm not even going to attempt his, his lovely accent. He was from Europe. And <laughs> he says to me, he goes, Joanna, when these cool down, you put them in the plastic and they go in the freezer. But not now, because it's not good when bread sweats. And when I heard that, like so I'm thinking the heat the condensation yeah. in the bag and I thought mm -hmm. you know all of you uh, in my back of my brain I'm thinking 
I've got to use that line. Right? I've got to use that. Right. So, um, so tell me, well, how did the three of you just now that we take you to down this road, feel about short stories, Tony? I've written a few, um, but it's not something I'm, I'm uh, sort of considering too much. Yeah. Occasionally, occasionally I'll, um, the shortest story I'll do, I'll do a scene, you know, just to, but it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have a beginning, middle, and end. It's a, it's a scene. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm like Kate. I'm a, I'm a pantser, um, and I write till I see what happens and yeah. till people show up. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, unfortunately, I, I'm, I struggle being a long form writer. Yeah, that's me. And you, Kate? Yeah. Short story. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm the same. I'm definitely long form, but I. I'm really curious about, and I haven't done it yet, but the Federation of Beauty Writers always does a competition, and one of the categories is flash fiction. Yeah. And I feel like I'm curious about flash fiction because I feel like it's it's into such a narrow, like, or not narrow, not, not the fair word, but like, it's so intentional. And I think that that might be kind of fun just as an exercise. But as far as short stories go, no, I'm not. I'm I'm a long-winded person. I don't do short wind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's what I'm finding. I'm I'm getting panicked because I'm like, oh my God, what happens next? You know, and it's just because I know I have to be condensed, right? So Jody, how about you? How about you with short stories? Um, I, I love them. I think they're fa- I think it's fascinating. I think that when you think about the fact that most well fantasy is more obviously, but you know, for my books, you tell the story in 300 pages. I'm fascinated by the idea that people can take all of those elements and put them into 4,000 words. So I've written a few um and I, I've written several novellas, which, of course, is not a short story. It gives you a little more leeway. But, yeah, I, I definitely – I have tried my hand at them. I would love to write some more of them. Um, I really like to to choose, like – I think it's a little bit easier if you take a moment of your existing characters. So almost like, you know, like newsletter um, promo things, right? Where you write these mm. these little snippets. So that's kind of a cheater's way of doing it, I think, because then you're, you're giving it to readers who know your story, who know your world, things like that. But yeah, I've tried a few in the last year or so. Um, just to, just to try my hand at it. And I, I really enjoyed them. It's really powerful I think and it's really hard the hardest course I ever took for my English degree was we came in on the first day and she said okay there's 12 weeks of this course you're going to write 12 100 word essays and I was like sweet that's fantastic that was like one of the hardest courses I ever took because saying everything you have to say with proof and validation in a hundred words was just mind-numbingly hard so yeah so i'm fascinated by it i've tried it and yeah i'm it's not it's not my um go-to but i definitely love the concept of it yeah well yeah god i couldn't do that okay (laughs) all right so back to the regular program here um now jody you write the cozy mysteries as well under jody holford yeah why did you decide it on writing not on writing two series but why did you decided to go with the two pen names i was just i was curious about that um actually that kind of came to me from st martin's press so i had been writing i've been writing for quite a while um i have several books published under jody holford romance and cozy mysteries and when i wrote 10 rules for faking it um we had submitted it and my editor at st martin's loved it when she took it to the team 
they also loved it, but they obviously they're they're so smart. They think right away of you know those marketing um, avenues, and they were they wanted to make sure that this book had the best chance of success. And to do that, they wanted to make it so that it was like debut author so and so has this new rom com. So they wanted to just help me build a new platform, really to to kind of launch it. And so that's where the pen name came from. So. Sophie Sullivan writes um, romantic comedy for St. Martin's Press, and then everything else I publish is under Jody, basically. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to shift it over to Tony. And uh, I'm I'm wondering what is the best writing advice you've received? Oh my God, it's that's so easy. Um yeah. timed writing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Timed writing. So uh, a bunch of years ago, I started going to the Surrey International Writers Festival. Yeah, I wouldn't think that Surrey is a hotbed of of writers for people on the <clears throat> uh, listening to the podcast. It's it's uh, it's a suburb of Vancouver, and they've been doing this for twenty odd years. And um, I was going out there trying to meet other writers when I when I was younger, and I I met these two writers, uh, Jack Remick and and Robert Ray, both writers from Seattle. And they did a writing workshop and you wrote during the writing workshop and it was all about timed writing. And they had met um, Natalie Goldberg. So it follows a lot of Natalie Goldberg's um, uh, principles. Um, so I started, I started time writing, completely changed my writing because you have to write fast. You keep your hand moving. You don't cross out. You don't draw. You just keep going. Okay. And you, you set a timer and you write. And what it does is, the little internal editor going, oh, you can't write that. No, your mother wouldn't like all that. That goes away because they can't keep up because you're going so fast. Okay. Right? That's the first technique that I learned that completely changed my writing. The second one was doing NaNoWriMo yeah. for the mm-hmm. first time. Oh, my God. That just, you know, you you have to write, 50, you know, for those listening, yeah. uh, you have to write a, you commit in the month of November to write a 50,000 word novel, a draft, first draft of a novel. Uh, which works out to 1,666 words a day. And there's no cost to it. You just sign up for it. And you have to write like your hair's on fire. Mm-hmm. And and I was amazed. You get the bones of the uh, of the, the novel. You have to write fast. Uh, and it's I'm always completely amazed what shows up. And Tony, I just want to clarify, because my internet froze on me a little bit. Yeah. So you said, is it, it's the next book, the Tokyo Diversion is that the one that came out through NanoRama? Yeah, that, that one came out. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the the first book, the the one we're talking about, the Amsterdam Amsterdam Deception, that was sort of traditional, me struggling and trying to figure out how to write. Um, but the second one came out um, out of a nano um, yeah. a nano month. Good. See, and that's what I'm finding with this time travel. Now, I never succeeded with getting the full, let's say, fifty thousand or sixty thousand words in the month. But mm-hmm. my, I looked at it as if I can get 140 pages, I have got a first draft, something I can yeah. work with. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Now, Kate, what advice would you give to a new writer? Mm, probably not the advice that everyone's looking for. Um, <laughs> for me, so I loved hearing what um, what you were saying about the time writing and the NaNoWriMo. I'm... I'm definitely a hyper-focused writer, so I just naturally write very fast when I sit down. A lot of words very quickly. 
Um, partly because I have little kids and I can write it sort of like, do it, go. Um, but I think for me, so when I started, um, this process, like I have a academic background and I have, you know, should have started this years ago, but I held back for lots of different personal reasons. And when I started the process, I promised myself that I would develop my own process, um, that my writing process would be, I would take advice with a grain of salt. I would, I would filter it through my own like integrity and my own intuition as to what could be sustainable, because I am quite sensitive to, um, like I have some history of academic trauma and abuse. And, and so I'm very careful with what I bring into my body as a rule or as an expectation or as a, because it'll trigger perfectionism, it'll trigger self-doubt and, and, and imposter syndrome and all kinds of things. So my biggest, my best advice, I think, for a new writer, if there's somebody like me who's starting maybe from less from an English background or a writer's writer kind of background, and there's somebody coming in from a passion place um, is make your own process and and take the time to try different ways of doing things. Um, I know some authors that love like verbal transcription. I cannot stand the sound of my own voice. I can barely listen back to podcasts. So like I like I've tried it. It did not work for me. <laughs> so you know, but I gave it a shot. And um, you know, and and as my series has gone on, my process has changed as well because I I'm also one of those people that like you know. I am quite hyperlexic. I read really fast. I write really fast. I also edit while I write, which is, I know, a no-no for some people. But for me, that allows me to, like, really connect with the dialogue. And maybe that's why the dialogue feels strong. It's because I'm really, like, in it, um, making sure it reads clearly for me. Um, that being said, I am really, I want to work on what a literary fiction book that I have sort of boiling in the back of my head that's completely unrelated to any of the fantasy stuff that I do. And I, I feel like I would like to take that to NaNoWriMo and try, because it's it's different. I would like to maybe plan ahead a little bit for that one and see how that feels. Cause again, I'm always experimenting with process. And then, you know, one of the big themes in Tides of the Sovereign and in, in my entire trilogy is giving yourself grace. So I think, you know, if I go do nano and I'm like, well, I hate this, I'll just stop, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Now I had mentioned, you know, what you thought your superpower was. We're going to go to the other end of the scale. Um, now, when I was, I used to be a fitness instructor and personal trainer at UVic. And oh gosh, I did that for about 10 years. But the crazy thing is every time I started a new class at a new club, I was always nervous. Okay. Always nervous. And um, I remember the fitness coordinator at UVic, she had said to me, nerves are good. And she goes, Joanna, by you being nervous, that shows to me that you care about how this class is going to, you know, how you're going to pull this class off. Okay. Um, and I found that once I turned, <laughs> it was crazy. Once I turned that, you know, 132 or 128 beat music on, and I heard that boom, boom, boom. I, okay. Yeah. I got this, you know, and it, it's weird how the music just kind of made me, you know, zone in. So multi-published authors here, to this day, do any of you experience any self-doubt when you're writing, when you're writing a new book? Um, Jody, how about you? Every single time. Okay. Every single time and more so when I get my edits. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I love the books that I write. It's really hard when, um, I mean, you you know at this stage, editors want the very best for you and they're invested in the book the same way you are, but it's still really hard when you like, okay, I've handed this in and then you get back those edits and, and it's it's a it's a daunting task to to dive back in and pull it apart and really make it the best book it can be. And yeah, every single time I go into a new book, I have self-doubt. Um, I, I worry that, I think there's so much pressure and social media is such a, such a, a plus and a minus really, right? It, it's a great place to connect with people and share, but it can also be a place where you get absolutely mired down in the comparison. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that, I think that every single time I'm wanting to create the best book that I can. So I have to be really careful not to, you know, everybody loved this book. Everybody loved, you know, this author. How can I write like her, but more just kind of, you know, I write my stories. No one else can tell my stories from my point of view and trying to kind of remind myself of that. But yeah, absolutely. I've yet to go into a book that, you know, I've written books I feel good about, but I've yet to go into a book and been like, yeah, that was so, you know, this was easy. This was, you know, Mm. I'm not, I'm not worried about anything in this book. Because there's always something and you're so inside of it when you're writing that once you come out of it, you know that other people are going to see it differently. Yeah. So for me, I look at it as when I start writing a book, I call it now the honeymoon stage where I just, (laughs) I think everything is brilliant, right? And I'm typing away. And it's when I get those first edits back. Yes. uh, they're needed. Like I, I mean, I know, I know my editor is pulling out much more from me. And there have been times where I have walked with those dogs on my, like when I, after I have lunch and I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? I can't write. You think you're a writer? You know, and all that comes in. So, uh, but then I, I kind of smarten up and it's like, okay, do the work. Let's do this. So Tony, yeah. what, what, what do you ever experience self-doubt when you're writing? Yeah, all, all the time. However, I'm finding the, the more I'm writing, the easier is not the right, less painful. Okay. Uh, I think is probably the, 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 the better way to go. Um, it, it takes me a while to write. I, you know, I've, I've, uh, with the work I've got and the, and, and, uh, family and so sort those kinds of things so i was able to get when i'm when i'm writing i get about an hour an hour and a half in a day that's and it's usually like in an afternoon um and you know my first book you know i i was you know visualizing you know accepting the you know the oscar for the screen for you know whatever you know what i mean like the and and then you know i'd read some of the early drafts now i go oh man like the the I, I know I know that I've come farther in my writing, right? Now whether the right what I'm writing is is any good, right? From a is it saleable? Is it interesting? Do people want to throw it at the wall after the second chapter? Or, you know, that I, I'm always I still always have that kind of uh, self doubt. But I'm comforted by the thought that every writer I know has this. It's a coll- <laughs> it's a collective pain, right? Yes. So that's a, that somehow keeps me going. Okay. My one mentor, Jack Jack Remick, I had I was chatting with him via Skype or something one time. And I said, "Oh, I'm so, you know, I I I, I, I 
I, I'm so full of self-doubt. And he said, do you think you're the only one feeling that? I go, okay, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the virtual slap in the head. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Spy Girls, I retired in 2022, the end of January. And it's like, it's taken me twice as long to get this book <laughs> to print, you know? And I'm just like, that's okay, Joe. You know, and it kind of goes with, okay, that's okay. You don't have to be, whether I'm a, a lot, it takes me a while to write, but it's like, don't feel, and you mentioned this, Jody, about comparison, that just because another author is a faster writer and can produce a book a, book a year, that's not you, right? So it's, uh, it, it's like Tony said, kind of slap myself, like, you do you, you do your thing, right? So Kate, Kate, talk to me. What do you think? Self-doubt, writing, hearing <laughs> what everyone's saying here. Complex beast. Um, I I find it's all, all everything all at once. Um, when I'm in the moment writing in the magic, I I know that that's the why. Um, so keeping up with writing what I want to write and staying in that magic with regularity helps. Um, a friend described. I just submitted the final or the one of the major edits for my the third book in my trilogy um, two weeks ago and. A friend of mine texted me saying like, oh, how are you feeling in the eclipse of your submission? And I thought that was such a great way to describe it because it does, you do have those moments after where you're kind of like, oh my God, what have I done? Why didn't anybody stop me? Like, <laughs> my brain does that and you're like, uh-oh, hold on. Why didn't anybody, you know, <laughs> step in? And, and um, but on the other hand, I, I think one of the challenges in when I talk about creating my own process, one of the reasons I've been drawn to create my own process is... Um, and maybe it's because I'm neurodivergent and, and I have rejection sensitive um, dysphoria sometimes. And so I have to protect myself around how I receive um, input. Um, I really have struggled with learning how to um, not look at reviews that are not, you know, maybe fair or that are not, that didn't get the point. Um, one of the reminders I have to give myself is that like, I'm moving through life um trying to write with integrity, trying to be discerning, trying to, you know, take advice through a filter of understanding. Not everyone does that. Um, so I'm definitely not a writer that prescribes to that very competitive gatekept sort of pitch world kind of energy. Cause that doesn't work for my body and my neurology and it's not for me. So I do have to be careful yeah. um, how I interact with that part of writing. But at the same time, I've gone to a couple big um, fantasy conventions this last year and I've had people, you know, readers, fans come up out of the blue and they're just squealing with the joy about different characters and different things. And it's like, in that moment, it's all, it all makes sense, you yeah. know? So it's, it's, it's really being able to look at the bigger picture. And, and I look back at who I was when I started the series versus where I am now and how much I've changed personally through my own growth and all that stuff. And I, and I'm able to, once again, it's that give yourself grace thing where I look back and I go like, wow, I was really trying hard to be her and get my voice out there and be expressing all these concepts. And I'm really proud of myself for that. And yeah, so I, I guess as your backlist grows too, you're able to, maybe that's Tony's experience and, and Jody too, you have a bigger backlist than I do. And you can maybe look back and have an understanding that like you are growing and that's a really good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an excellent comment. Definitely. Okay. So just coming to the last couple of few questions here. Now, everyone here, we write a series. Um, 
uh, now correct me though. Um, I, I, when I was on your websites, I didn't necessarily see standalone books. So what drew, I'm going, just going to ask what drew you to writing a series? Okay. So Jody, thinking of your cozy mystery series, what, what made you want to write uh, a series? Um, I think that, I mean, my, my agent always says when we're starting a new series or getting ready to pitch books, you always think in threes um, so that the publisher knows that there's more to more to come. And I, when I start, you know, I have a clear idea of what the first book is and the second and third are just kind of little synopsises of what could be. But then as I'm writing the book, the other characters come to life and kind of, you know, they, they have such a presence that it becomes clear which character should come next. So I'm always grateful that I think in threes and it might not be the story that I kind of briefly told them I was going to tell, but it's about that character and who kind of emerged out of book one. Cool. Good. So Tony thinking about series, David Knight, well, you, my, he's well. My character's twenty-one. In that yeah, book, right. And and the uh, he's got these uh, um, abilities as he doesn't want. And um, so I've got the second, um, yeah. and I'm I haven't started the third. I'm I'm still I, I've got to go through this launch and and the advertising and all that kind of stuff. But I've got some ideas where I want the third third place i think you know it sort of he'll end up maybe several years later i still got i have some ideas but i haven't really got got to that point yet so okay well but it does but it makes it but there's enough of a I, he's enough of a he's a strong enough character to to um you know to make it three books good good i'm thinking of your series kate I can't see I I can't see thinking of the first book of it being a standalone mm. at all. So it never was. Yeah. It never was. No. It, so when you started, did you think no you would be yeah. three to four books in? Yeah. Yeah. I've always written as a trilogy. Um and then what I'm excited about, I had an artist friend, the, the the person that did my designs for the quilt patterns, um, Bex Morley is her name. She said, oh, it's, I've heard it described as like when you create a portal world, you're able to like draw a lot of breath from that space. And like, you know, I feel really confident that I've created a portal. I collaborate with lots of other artists and creators and illustrators based off of this world. Um, so for me, like giving it enough breath to really expand this sort of i guess i wouldn't call it a multiverse but that's sort of and that's a real like fantasy genre thing right we get to be get to be a bit more expansive um yeah. and i'm so right now i'm what's speaking to what both of you said too when we get to know these characters we sort of see where they're going so i'm in the process of starting a duology spinoff in the same world with one of the characters from the books who's really grown as the series has gone on and i've been really grateful to witness him on that road and realize oh i've got lots of material for him and he's the easiest one to write right now because he's got the most complicated character and and um his name's ronan and like i didn't see it coming at all so it's i think that's the the fun is when you like for me the juice is the creation and the and the sort of the, the world and so i wouldn't it would hard it would be hard for me to write in genre not in series i guess yeah okay. a different genre like if i went into literary or something yeah i could see writing a standalone but i don't not with magic, I don't think. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I could do it. <laughs> okay, so guys, 
What does it mean? What does it mean to you when being a, the 2022 Canadian Book Club Award winner in your category? So, Jody, what how, what does this mean to you? Um, honestly, I think it ties back to the self-doubt. Um, you know, you do this because you love it. You don't, nobody spends all this time putting words on the page and sharing it with people and getting possible bad reviews or, you know, good reviews or whatever. Y- y- your goal as an author, or at least for me, um, is to make readers feel the way I felt reading books, books that, you know, you can't get out of your head, books that, you know, those characters, I, 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 picture them in these different scenarios and stuff because I just don't want it to be over and as an author like I said with experiencing so much self-doubt and uncertainty it's I mean it's a validation and we can say that we don't need that but it's it's a reminder that you know regardless of what else is happening it was recognized for this book and the book really mattered to me and it meant something to me. And I shared a lot in this book in particular, I shared a lot more of my own struggle with social anxiety. And you maybe wouldn't know that from meeting me, but the people that are in my life and close to me, they were like, oh my gosh, that really made me understand some of the situations that we've been through. And so it, it's this, it's a recognition and it's a, it's a reminder for me on those days that the self-doubt is strong, that, you know, this book was special for a lot of reasons. And here's, you know, Here's, here's some actual tangible proof of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was special for others too, right? Yeah. 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 So Tony, Tony, what does it mean to you being the 2022 CP Canadian Book Club Award winner? Well, it's, I, I uh, it was very nice. I was, um, you know, like we all struggle and we write and, and, you know, we hope people like it and I've got, so I've got some good reviews, but um but you know, getting that kind of an independent, uh, uh, independent thumbs up was uh, really helped. You know, it helped. You know, it helped. You know, it helped the brand and the book. But it really it helped my own internal uh, su- success. Is so weird. Um, just my own internal meeting uh, meter of accomplishment. I guess. Yes. I don't want to say success. You know, success is so fleeting because I don't really consider it that way. Because if you if you sit you sit your bum down on a on a chair and you write a page, you are successful yeah. as a writer, right? Yeah. Like, um, and it's it's surprising. It's more easy and harder at the same time than most people think. Yeah, uh, which I, uh, I I I I tell others because oh, I could never write a book. Well, you could. It's 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 it, it's a journey, right? It's like training for a marathon. There's a there's a lot of training going in, and there's a lot of work to it, but you can do it. Yeah, and as creative as it is, and as varied as the approaches are to writing, there also needs to be discipline. Just thinking yeah. what you said, sitting sitting yeah. in that chair and hammering out the words, right? Yeah, yeah. And because sometimes they don't come easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Kate, how, do, how does it feel? What, what does it mean to you being the CBCA winner? I think it's two part. Um, it was my debut book. So that felt really cool. Um, just, just to start off with readers celebrating it. Um, I loved the fact that it was reader-based, um, I enter in competitions, we all enter in competitions and stuff and, and different literary contests. And it was cool to really have it arrive in that way. The other two books that were in the category, um, 
a fortunate connection with those authors too while we were all finalists and it was nice to sort of make some make some connections that way too um on a marketing level i really appreciated it you know they say when you write like you really need to leverage and get these stickers for your books you know it's and i was sort of like oh how important is it and i've seen how important it is um i've seen the value of getting brave and submitting your book and things and and putting yourself out there in that way um to leverage future opportunities and and um you know especially where i am early on in my career it was a really nice um it really bolstered a yes i guess yeah good so what's next for you guys wrapping this up what's next for each of you tony what, what's next uh well i'm i'm considering doing a the third novel but i actually started um i've got a few scenes written uh of a novel with a different protagonist it's not really um that technology focused it's female protagonist um it's a female um uh stunt uh stunt actor uh who doubles for for other female actors but she also is kind of a protection for the uh the um the female actors while, while they're out on set and so i've got kind of a um a thought about that and i actually the first scene I wrote took place in Lisbon, which I just spent a bunch of time there. So I that I'll see. I'll play with that a little bit and see if that turns into something more interesting. Um, I've also got a. It's funny. I write I write suspense thrillers, or I write kids middle grade action books. So I've got a a middle grade book um, that's a little um, science fictiony actiony. Um, that I, I'm trying to find an, an agent for right now. So, but that's finished, and and uh, so I've got yeah, I've got a couple a couple things going on. Good, good. Kate, what's next? Um, my third book in the trilogy is going to come out in the new year in February. Um, and I'm very excited to be done with <laughs> the process of that. Um, I'm also having the book collaboration stuff come out at the same time. So there's a really fun marketing side that I'm. Yeah loving um i'm very multi-hat so it's nice to wear the hats and be excited um i am writing a spin-off duology i'm hoping to write them at the same time and then launch um have them published um closer together than i've been doing it yearly for this one so i'm hoping to bring those ones a little tighter um and then yeah i've got a literary fiction that's that is sitting sitting in there sort of waiting to be peeled open i think so um, it'll be darker. It'll be into um, like speculative, psychological, gothic kind of stuff. So different, and that's why I'm curious. What Jody was talking about changing the the, the pen name is interesting to me because it will be very different than what I'm writing. So, yeah, appreciate okay. that perspective. Good, Jody. What's next for you? Um, I'll just tag on to what Kate said just there, just from my own experience with um, switching over. It's a very interesting thing to me. And I think, I mean, in large part, it's because the publisher has been so wonderful in helping me market that. But from a marketing standpoint, having that second um, that the second name has been really powerful and really interesting mm. and did open up this whole new world of readers. And it's so cool when someone connects with your book and then you say, well, you know, I don't have anything out coming out right now, but I have this under my other name. They're like, oh my God, you were, you write under another name. So that has been a really, really beneficial thing. I was really nervous about having that second name. And of course the second social media and the second, you know, all of those things, but 
it's been far, there's been far more pros than anything else. It's been really, it's been really lovely. So, um, and what's next for me, I'm working on several things right now I'm working. So I have a book coming out in January. It's called love naturally. It's a new series with St. Martin's press. I'm really excited about that. It's up on NetGalley right now. And so far people seem to be liking it. Uh, I'm currently working on writing the second book in that series. Um, I was very lucky St. Martin signed another series with me as well so that I can publish twice a year um, and that one. So I'm working on the edits for that third series. And then under my own name, um, I'm working on a really amazing, unique project with Blackstone Publishing. And that book is called All the Other Me. It comes out in September 2024. Or just this really, it's a, it's completely different um, style than I have written before. You know, it's not romance. It's not, it's just, a, it's a, it's a blend of things. So it was a really cool thing. I'm excited about that one coming out. Fantastic. Fantastic. God, we're, you guys are so busy. We're all so busy. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thank you very much for spending time with me today. And we got to talk about all your your great books, your writing. We're God, we we have a lot in common. <laughs> we have a lot in common, and um, I wish all of you much more success as how you define success, how you see success. Okay, and uh, for folks, just letting you know, I will be launching Sam Magazine in September, where I will be featuring author interviews from the podcast, as well as short stories and art. Yes. Yeah. So everyone, thank you. Have a good day. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joanna.